Who can tell me what the Great Commission says? Go, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore into all the world and uh, make disciples, uh, teaching them everything I've commanded. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy yeah. Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, the gist of it. Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. That pretty much nails it. Yeah. You get you know, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is says declares all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Like baptizing them and then teaching them to obey all that So do you think this puts any kind of a burden on us in regard to us, the necessity for us to reach out to those around us? I don't think it's a burden necessarily. I think it's a, it should be a well I guess you could call it a burden. I guess it's a, you know, it should be the desire of your heart to see your family and friends and neighbors saved. Yeah. Should always be looking for opportunity to, or obligation. Who gave this command? Yeah, the Lord of the universe, the King, right? right. Yeah, the Lord. So when the Lord gives a command, it tells us to go and do something. What does that? That gives an obligation, right? So we we are now obligated. We're bound by our King by His command. So we have an obligation, and you could call it a burden. You get, I don't know, maybe that's a bad word. We have an obligation to go. Obligation to reach out. Obligation to say, here's the nations are before us. The church must go forward within the nations and obey the Lord in this. So, but here's the issue. What does this, the next question is, okay, so what does that mean, right? What, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to the church? What does it mean to our in our everyday lives? We, we Sometimes we don't understand. We don't know how you can go. Like, if, if someone tells you to go and um, you're hesitant to go, what might be some reasons that we, like, okay, we hear this, now I get this, but I'm not sure what this means. What, what are some reasons why we... Well, we feel untrained. Feel untrained. Some of us might be brand new Christians. You know? Some of us might be... Well, sometimes those, are, those, are, the, those are the ones who are like, you can't stop them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to rein them in a little bit, and they're, they just get to get you up. They can't stop telling everybody. Yeah. But what are some other reasons? There's plenty of them. Right. Feel intimidated. You know, Feel intimidated? You see the, the culture around around us, and you know, see it's uh, not very... kind of looks down on Christians in general, and... That kind of belief, you know, and, yeah, and especially, especially like you, yeah. proselytizing, you know, if you're in a, any kind of a hostile environment, right? Some of us don't feel gifted mm-hmm. enough to, you know, some a gift to. No, be I think one thing is that the fear of man is a snare. So, yeah. in a sense, of, I don't want to be rejected. I don't. Absolutely, right. yeah, it's terrifying sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, other reasons, perhaps we've had bad experiences. Been there, done that. That's not. Uh, that's not for me. That's not something that I'm ever going to do. And uh, we can. And then we have could have preconceived ideas of what would happen. We could we could play it out in our minds and think, well, if I do this, then this is probably going to happen most likely. Than that, and and then there's no way I'm going to. If I find myself in that scenario situation, then forget it. And so what we do is, if we perceive danger, what do we do? 
if we perceive that this is dangerous, what do we naturally do? Tend to avoid it. (laughs) Danger? Not going there. Uh, I'll go over here. And so there are several reasons. It could be that you, you know, you have all kinds of backgrounds, uh, different perspectives, ideas, beliefs, things going on that actually prevent us from, you know, perhaps going in this direction or obeying the Lord in this. And, you know, one of the things throughout, I've been a Christian now 30 years, and throughout this time I have done door-to-door evangelism, beach evangelism, Mm -hmm. I've done airport evangelism. <laughs> Come on in. I've done mall evangelism. I've done project evangelism. I've done friendship evangelism. I've done preaching evangelism. And I've done a lot of different style things. And I've been involved in all the programs. I've, I've went and done stuff that I was almost ready to throw up. I was so nervous uh, to, to do and, and did it and vowed to never do it again. Never. So it's, in all of this, though, it's taught me some things. It's taught me what I'll never do again. That's one of the main things it's taught me. And I've learned a ton from it, because in in looking at it and understanding it and what was going on, I realized, you know what, if, uh, depending on the model somebody has and what they believe individuals are called to do, will affect what they end up doing, the, the, the program they end up putting together for this. And, and I realized that I am no evangelist. I'm not gifted in it. But I love to do the work of an evangelist. If I ever get the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, it's one of the greatest joys. It's a delight. However, I, you know, some people seem to, they're gifted, right? You've seen them. They've, they get in conversations right away. They're able to talk to people. They, they talk about these people who come to know the Lord through their ministry. And they think, oh, man, I wish that I could do a fraction of that. That would just be wonderful to be a part of something like that. Because that's one of the greatest joys. We talk about this being an obligation. You know, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And it is. The, the Lord has commanded His church to go. On the other hand, what He does in this is it makes it our greatest joy. If we love the Lord, when you talk to somebody about the Lord, it's like it fills your soul with life and delight and thinking, this is what I was made for. And it's just, it's, to me, it's almost a miracle. Why is telling somebody about Jesus so much delight to the soul? You know? It's, Jesus doesn't just tell his church, go do this, and when you do it, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be awful. He fills the, the actual task itself with delight and joy, so much so people will actually say, that was so good that I would love to be able to do it all the time. It was so good. And this is why a lot of times you'll see new converts especially, you'll see this, they get converted, they love to tell people, and they're so excited, and they delight to tell people that it's hard to stop them sometimes because of the joy in it. That's what our Lord is like. You know, we can't think of this as somehow, oh no, here's the, here we go again, doing something that's just awful. No, this is just something literally that will bring joy to your soul. really will. You know, Many of us, I would say, want to lead family and friends to the Lord. We just long to. Many of us have prayed for family and friends for a long time. But really, we feel lost in this regard. We don't know where to start. 
you agree with that? Like, what do you do? Like, I, I, I pray for them, but I just, a lot of times you feel even, you don't know how to navigate the waters. You don't know where to go. What's the first thing I should do? I'd really like to. And then if you've tried before, and you've made a complete fool of yourself, because sometimes out of like desire to do it, you, especially, I don't know, if, you, if you're converted, like I was converted in my teens, some people are converted in their like early 20s, different spaces of life. And right around that time is usually you'll get in some conversations with family and friends, and you'll find your zeal just tends to blow everybody out of the water. And, and they're kind of, you know, freaking out. You have some weird experiences, and then you, you go back and you reflect on what you did and how it worked out, and then you, man, I can't do that again. And, and you can actually begin to feel lost through your attempts, because your attempts, what they communicate to you is, that's not good. Um, I, I don't... I'm learning what I shouldn't do, but I don't really know what I should do. And so this is what um, what I want us to discover this morning as we begin this process of realizing, you know what, it's a lot easier to reach the people around you than you realize. The biggest problem I think we have is this, we just don't know where to start. We don't know how to go go about it. And if someone would just kind of help me go about this in a real, in a sane way, in a way that is, you know, not weird and puts all kinds of strain and stress on the, on the relationships and, and makes you go way more confused than ever because of how it all turned out. And I, here's something we have to understand. A lot of times we've been, put, we've been given pressure under a particular model that just creates the pressure. If, if you're under a, a, like a conversion paradigm, that you have like this burden that you have to somehow convert, you're really trying hard to convert this person. And a lot of the models that I was trained under were like that. Like they believing that you walk, you have to get this person to this point where they pray the prayer, and it's built in. The pressure is built in. It's like built in on you. You have pressure. They can feel the pressure, and so part of this pressure is what you pressure them almost to this point. And it's 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 not good. It's just not good at all on many levels. And I think that it, you can, if you start to feel like a cheesy car salesman then you know you're, you're on the wrong path because that's not what it's supposed to be like with some canned message. It's just like, here's my package. You need to be quiet for a while because I have to deliver this to you. It's not like it's how it should be at all. And here's the thing. Once we switch from like a conversion paradigm to a discipleship paradigm and realize that people are actually on a journey in life, and at, they're at different places, and everybody's different. And some people have uh, particular questions that the others don't, and they're, and they're at a different place than the others are. And if you look at the life of Jesus, which we are going to look at here shortly, as he is going around, one thing you'll notice about him, he never has a canned message, does he? He deals with people where they're at, what they're going on, what's going on with their lives. And, and some people, he just merely asks a question, and he finds out what's going on with them, and, and then he leaves. With others, he, he probes a little further, asks more questions. With some, he confronts and rebukes. With some, he instructs and teach. And, and what he's doing is he, he's realizing that people are at a certain place, and they need to, depending on what God is doing in their life, he tries to um, say, okay, they're here. Let me challenge this right here, and let's see if they come here or not. But he's not really, you'll find out he's not really concerned about about this because he's really looking for where it is his father is at work. 
And that, that's very key, and that's really what we're going to focus on this morning. I want us to, I got the TV here, because I want to show you something. And here is a, a model of evangelism that I've actually, I've done training under this model, and I've actually practiced and used this model before. There's some really good things about it. I'm not putting up here so we can make fun of this or, or tear it apart, because there's some, there's some really good aspects to it. And I want you to think of it this way. What are the aspects that are good? What are the aspects that are not so good? And what do you learn from this in terms of takeaway, in terms of the paradigm? Is this a conversion paradigm or a discipleship paradigm? And why might that matter? So we're going to watch this. It's five minutes. And then we'll have a little bit of discussion on this in the middle. Yes. You guys can somehow get... Thank you. Move heads or... Hey, maybe Becky and Nate, if you guys slid back to the word the wall, then Looks like a YouTube, like YouTube based. 
Try YouTube videos. Go to. You want to go to a check another file out? <coughs> I'm just going to open it on YouTube. So you oh, there we go. Just pause it. Justin. <laughs> oh, we've got demon smokes. <laughs> Time, I try to. I'm only human being. We all make mistakes. So, what do you do to? What 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 do you think makes you a good person? Justin. I try to treat everybody with respect yeah. and dignity. gives you what you deserve, you're in big trouble, aren't you? 
Yes, I am. So what are you what are you gonna do when what you die you? and you stand before God? What are you gonna say? How, how, what are you gonna say for yourself? I can't really say much. Imagine you're in a courtroom and you're guilty of multiple crimes. Okay, and say your your fine is set at fifty thousand dollars. And the judge says, Keyshane, you're guilty. All the evidence is here. Can you pay your fine? And you say, no, I don't have any money. So you're being let off to your, to your prison. When all of a sudden, somebody you don't even know steps into the courtroom and says, Judge, here's a check for $50,000. Keyshane is my friend and I love him and I'm paying his fine. So it's like this. God demonstrated his love for you in that while you broke the law, he paid your fine by sending Jesus to take your punishment for you. And he says that if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus to save you, then he will forgive you of your sin and grant you eternal life, not just because you're sorry, but because Jesus paid your fine and now he can let you go. Does that make sense? That makes sense. It's not a sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, like I can hear what you're saying. Yeah, because there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. So what you need to do before you go to sleep tonight, man, is get right with God. You say, God, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Please forgive me. And this day I repent of my sin. It means I turn my back on sin and I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then read your Bible. Do you have one? Yes, I do. And read it every day and obey what you read and God will never let you down. Hey, thanks for talking with me, Kishay. I wish you all the best. God bless you. This happened for a reason. I think so, too. Happened for a reason. Right on, man. It's a wake-up call. Have a good day. You, too. Wake-up call. You're Christian University, wasn't it? That's at the Grove in LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anybody ever, have anybody ever seen that before? Camera looks like it. Seems like you had. So, what, what were some good things that happened there? He was trying to tell us. I mean, he was out there. Yeah, he's out there. Yeah, he's out there doing something. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, I think he confronted the guy where his sin was, much like Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, to you know, because that's what he always could steer it back to getting a person to admit. You know, you know they, they they're not perfect, right? And so mm-hmm. most people today think they're good, mm-hmm. or that God is some kind of grandfather in the sky that's going to just let us in anyway. Mm-hmm. But that like whole conversation worked because the guy already had acknowledged that there is a God. Right. And Most of my neighbors don't even acknowledge yeah, that yeah, there is, yeah. especially in Seattle. Yeah. 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 It just depends, it's, right? Yeah. Right. Scenario. So yeah. where that guy was, he had already acknowledged yeah. that there was. You're a about creator. the Ten Commandments. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. easier yeah. to confront him. Use, yeah. Well, not confront, but just use. The that Bible that he's already acknowledged right. exists, and he had one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to get him to that point. Yeah. 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 What were some things that uh, weren't so good? We just left the guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he didn't. Like, he sound, he he this is what you do. You go home, you pray this prayer, you read your Bible, and will never let you down. Bingo. You should take that to lunch or something. That, that's what? one of the main factors in a conversion paradigm. All he's trying to do is get the guy converted mm-hmm. and leave him. That, I don't know about you, but all I saw was ripe fruit. This guy needed to be decided. He was there. He, was, mm-hmm. he would have said, Take why don't we meet for Bible study once week? This guy probably would have said, yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just, uh, mm-hmm. he left him hanging. Just... And that breaks my heart the most. I remember when I watched this, like, this guy was like, he was, he, he was there, man. He was 
he was acknowledging all of that he was saying, and 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 then he says, "Read your Bible and see you later." That's the parable of the sower and the seeds, really. I mean, he's he's ex- you know he's he's excited. He, okay, yeah, you know, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. So it's like you scatter seed and. You know, the cares of the world come up and choke them up. But that's about what happens with these mission groups that go to countries and all these little kids accept Christ and they leave them. They just, all these new conversions and, well, we'll see you next year. And they left them and and that's why nothing happens. It's a shame. It's just an evangelism. You catch them, you clean them. Yeah, that's great. I like that. I well, right, that's good. I've never heard that before. That's really good. You catch them, you clean them. That's good. And it's it's so sad because it's like having, like Paul talks about you know, having children. People come to his burden as a father was to care for them and realizing that you're being transferred out of a kingdom, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're going out of the world into the church. There's a transfer that's taking place and an understanding that there's no. Christian who's going to make it on their own in the world, and this is why they just can't, they will be in struggle. They'll struggle. They won't grow. They'll be confused. They'll be distorted. It's really a bad deal because the idea was is to take people from the world and bring them into the church. The idea was for them to be discipled in an environment where they can be encouraged, they can be taught, they can be instructed, they can be corrected and admonished, and all the things they need. Just to walk through life on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So, there are some things here that I think uh, are helpful to see. It's, it's good to see that, and that's the other thing is that, that was very you call almost like a confrontational style. Mm-hmm. He was he was very direct, very ch- challenging him in a, in a in a way that was. Um, the campus crusade. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't rude, but it was still no, pretty, it wasn't pretty, pretty. It was pretty strong, for sure, yeah. Yeah, he was very strong, and he had a particular agenda. And, and what you'll see, with this, I've been trained under this style, and it's very cookie-cutter. There's a method to this. There's, you ask them this question, and then you do this, and then you ask them. And the whole, but what's, here's what's also good about it, though. Out of all the ways I've been trained in evangelism, when they really focus that nobody will see their need for a Savior until they first see their... their the sin of their lives and their judgment under God. They have to come to that place. And this is where you'll see Jesus do this. Brings people to the place where they see themselves before God. That's really what has to happen. Because as Byron mentioned, you'll talk, everybody thinks they're pretty good people. Because it, as people, we look around and we're, we compare all the time. And I read my newspaper. And I, when I read my newspaper, there's people in there murdered. There's people in there kill, raping babies. You know, there's bombing places and... And so it, what happens is you become very self-righteous. And that self-righteousness is something you're, you'll encounter constantly. But, so what has to happen is people actually have to come before the face of God and look at themselves in light of who He is and His standard. That's kind of what they're trying to get them to do. Look at the law first. There's no, no need for Jesus until you realize where you're at. There wasn't anything there on the presenter about himself either that I think makes people more comfortable with something different than you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. said a couple little things, but not, not enough, in my opinion, to make them like, yeah. hey, me too, bro, you know. <laughs> We're in the same boat, kind of thing. So, here's the very first thing I want us to see. When In, in any approach that, that we find in scriptures, the very first thing we look at, we look at Jesus himself. What we have to learn to do is 
is see and observe where God is at work. And this is key. This is fundamental because this is this is really what it's about. Because looking, we're not out there trying to do something for God. We're out there working with God. God is at work, and we we work with Him. He's as Jesus said, even the Great Commission: "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." He's with us in it, and not only that, He's the one out working in the hearts and the minds of people. He's not sitting in heaven somehow saying, "Go get them." He's out there at work in the world and people's lives, and you you have to become able to observe where God is at work. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. Just quickly. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. And this is really important. This is really important to observe and see and 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 lay hold of, meditate on this, and just think deeply about this, and how reflect on this in regard to your own life. When Jesus says this, according to John five nineteen through twenty, Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise." <clears throat> For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus, the Son of God, what does he say? Listen to this. He says, I don't do anything on my own. What does he do? That's what the Father does. Yeah, he observes. He says, I, what the Father's doing, I do. And watch how this fleshes itself out and how he, he works this. If you look at, uh, sometimes Jesus interacts, sometimes he asks a question. And then hearing a response, he will he will know from what has been said, and he will speak to that because he can tell by the response what's going on. Look at Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. Someone get there, read that. 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there was no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. So, this is a, this is a very typical interaction, especially with the scribes and Pharisees. They try to challenge him and make, catch him and make him look stupid or show themselves to be really wise. But what Jesus does, he asks him a question, Jesus responds. And I love this because Jesus listens to what this guy is saying, and then he says to him, he can tell by his response that he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But then he, does he give him some gospel presentation or something? No, he's done. He's like, hmm, Interesting. He observes, but I love the statement when he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He can tell where he's at and what's going on. 
but then he moves on. And, and we can see this continually throughout. And Jesus, if you turn now, this is a famous passage, John chapter 4, where this is the woman at the well. And this is where we see an interaction between Jesus and this woman, which is, which gives us a, I don't know, just a wonderful insight. Chapter 4, verses 3, starting at verse 3. Um, who could read that? And then I will, uh, I will cut you off at the right moment. And he left Judea, departed again from Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sichar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman told, said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is you're saying it to, give me a drink, you would have asked that. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And are you the father of Jacob, the greater than the father of our Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped on, on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is, for the, is from the Jews. Okay, that's good right there. What do you notice about this interaction? What are just some things that uh, <clears throat> pop up to you as you listen to that or read it? Well, he's meeting her where she's at. Like, mm. Yeah, um, definitely. Sort of, yeah, he has no he has no agenda, right? So to speak, like program or a presentation. It starts off with water. So, what are some other things? He tests her honesty. He tests, he tests her, like he... Her honesty. Yeah, her honesty, yeah. But he's also using... Um, like, he's using the terms that she's looking for. Yeah. And, like, understandable. He's not doing it in some Dealing way with that... Like, yeah, it's funny, interesting how he turned the category of water and having a drink talk about himself being the water of life. And it's like she's looking there looking for water, 
And then so he uses that opportunity. That's what you're getting at there? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's interesting how his answers both like flow and make sense with her responses, but they're also going towards what he's wanting to talk to her about. But it's really well like very wisely done, you know. Very wisely. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, what's interesting along those lines, he almost seems okay with being a little diverted. She asked yeah, yeah, she yeah. she asked that question about well, you guys, you Jews say that we should worship on this mountain. These Samaritans worship on this mountain. What do you, you know? What do you right, say? Right, right. And he didn't say no. No, let's go back to the right. husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just finished talking about this. Let's let's dwell here for a second. He, he's like, okay, you want to go there? And he right. so he, he answers that question. Yeah. And I find that interesting. Yeah. Like he is not driven by this demand to somehow get. I have got to get this out, and I've got to explain this to you so that you can fully understand the gospel so that you can respond. But he realized, he's, this, is what a, this is a discipleship model. She needs to learn several things. She needs to learn a lot of stuff. She needs to learn some things about the, Jesus the Savior, about herself, about worship, about all kinds of things. Because there's her world, at this point, he knows, needs teaching, instruction. It's not just about knowing some certain facts about Jesus that you respond to and then receive them into your heart. That's not the, that's not the deal here. In discipleship, he's, he finds out where she's at, what's going on in her, and then he addresses those issues as they present themselves. And then he's fine. This ends, and he goes his way. But the story continues, and many, many believe because yes. of the testimony. But it's he like, went back and said, he God, Yeah, I think uh, in, in the conversion paradigm... We're so worried about getting them to somehow say this prayer or accept Jesus into their own personal heart or something that we think that's it, and then we move on to the next guy. We don't um, moving on isn't a bad thing either because someone waters, someone plants a seed, someone comes along and waters it, and someone comes along and harvests right, uh, makes a harvest out of it. And we have to have that in mind too when we, you know, it's not like we have to sit down in one meeting with this person and you know all of a sudden they're they're but some people just simply need an invitation to come to church. Many people, um, that's all that's lacking. A lot of people who are eventually became Christian, who God is working on, said that they simply needed wanted somebody to invite them. And that's what they're looking for. So you don't have to go out and have this big, you know, you simply invite them. Well, I, no, I, I think, too, there's a, we, this is what I want to see, is that there's, there's this delight. When the pressure's off, Right. And you don't have to somehow get them to some place, but you can have a conversation about how many husbands they've had, <laughs> you know, and and is and where they're at with that, uh, what's going on, like help people to, especially as we're going to note as we move further along. There's a way to ask questions. There's a way to proceed through a conversation to first of all find out where people are at, find out where they're at, find out what's going on, and then use that as your starting point to then start to actually disciple them. Because their discipleship is happening right from the get-go, because they, what you're teaching, and you might have a relationship, and you have to teach them. There's some things like, uh, Rachel, you had mentioned, there's neighbors that they don't even believe there's God. So where do you start? You start way back in having discussions about God. You know, a lot of times they have, those people believe in spiritual things. Spirit and and so you have to start there, and, and, and that's where you have your conversation. You're not trying to get them converted. You basically have a conversation, and as you're having the conversation, you watch for where is, is God at work. 
And we're going to look at some of those things that you notice when you start having these conversations. But last week I talked about Luke 10, 1 through 12, if you remember it in the sermon. And there, what was it, what was it Jesus said that they were looking for? Who was the person they were looking for? Oh, the, a worthy man or man? Yeah, worthy man was the one in Matthew, and what was Luke's? What do you, what do you call him? Person of peace. Or? Yeah, person of peace. So he, he's helping them to learn to identify a particular person. And that particular person, this person of peace, observe them, walk, look for them. And, and then those are the ones that they were to stay with and through this ministry. They, they had a, their ministry is a little different. They've got some serious attention grabbers and mind shakers when you can go into a community and start casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead and doing all the stuff in Jesus' name. That's a little different. But yet, but you look at Jesus' encounter in, in John 5, there's none of that. None of it. This is purely an encounter. He had a big impact on this woman, and all it is is a conversation. It's just a dialogue about her, her life, living water, her husband's worship. I think a lot of times we, uh, we, we don't understand where God is working in the hearts of man, and so we... We kind of miss, we, we don't see the forest for the trees, if you know what I'm saying. Because Jesus said, well, the harvest is ripe, man. It's white. The fields are white, ready for harvest. You just got to go out there and start picking. And you don't have to be, um, I don't think you have to be some kind of fully trained um, evangelist or whatever. I think you just have to have a heart for people, and you have to understand that God is at work in people's lives. It doesn't matter if they say they're a non-believer they're agnostic, maybe they just haven't been shown. Um, many people, like this guy in that video, probably grew up with some kind of influence in America. Um, my grandma, you know, talked about this or whatever. So they have this concept out there. And I think God, we don't have to be afraid of not nailing it down all in one meeting. We just have to simply oh, understand sure. that um, I'm going to just plant a seed maybe. I'm going to maybe water. Maybe, I'll invite, maybe I can reach a point where I can invite this guy to church or there's got to be a goal in mind, like an end goal, like a, a discipleship goal in mind, not just simply give them information and leave them hanging. No, like and I think life. the worst thing you'd ever do, this is what I really want to see, leave this class, <clears throat> do not give information. This is, what you want to do is find out where people are at. You got, this is why, it, it's questions. It's lots of, find, that's what, what Jesus did. You got to, what, what, where are they at? What's going on? Like what's, because I can't know what God is doing in your life. Let's ask you a question. Like, how are you doing? Like, if I was to ask you, so what are the things that you um, struggle with most in, in relationship to God, believing God, trusting God? Even Christians, that's a powerful question. If you're sitting on and the two of us are together and I asked you that question, say, what do you struggle with the most in relationship to understanding and believing about God? Ooh. We've got a big, that's a, that's a deep question, right? Asking somebody whether even they believe in God, maybe it'd be like your neighbor, you'd say, it might even be that, uh, do, you, do you believe in spiritual things? That's a great question, because any question about spiritual things, God, Jesus, church, you're going to get information, and then you listen. And you listen to what, what the response is, and that's very important to know. Oh, interesting. This is actually, this could, this could clearly go in a very wonderful direction. Or, woo, that person was incredibly prickly. They, they didn't, you know, it was just a conversational question about 
say God or something spiritual, and then you watch their reaction. Sometimes even watch their reaction about you can bring up a character, like a political character, because that's maybe something's on the news, and they're Christians. And say something about them being Christians. And then you see the reaction to the fact that they're Christians. Right? Hmm. Interesting. Because this is one thing I want us to, to leave this class with, is that you will notice in Luke 10 is that these three things, and we're going to look at these next time, though. These three in order. The people are open, interested, and there's a connection. Open, interested, and a connection. In, in Luke, they say they received them. They were, they were open to them, and they received them. So we are going to look at all three of those, because when you look for a person of peace, somebody whom God is at work, you need to look for these things. And then you need to know when somebody is actually not open, not interested, and they are, there's just no connection, you have to read that as well. And these are, these are very early reads. You can read them and find out about them really quick, really up front, just by simple basic questions, and just understanding, knowing what you're looking for. And for me, this has been a difference maker. Because if, if I, all I want to do is I want to see, Lord, and you prayerfully, as you prayerfully like, talk to somebody, you can be praying right, right at that moment. Lord, allow me to see. Lord, allow me to have a window in. Make this so I see where you're at work. Because my concern is I want to see where God is at work. And if I see God's at work, then I move towards that. And I want to, and I want to join him in that work. If I see that, ooh, uh, you know, there's, there's hardness of heart, it's cold. And not to say those people, if there's hardness or whatever, they could eventually come to the Lord. But at this moment, where they're at, you look at the Pharisees, many of them in Acts came to know the Lord. But yet, at the time, all he had for Jesus saw what was going on, and boom, he had a statement or whatever. They challenged him, he responded, and he moved on. And then the people you watch where he really engages with, his disciples, and the people who like were interested, open, and received him, there's, he starts pouring his ministry. What's he doing? Where's the Father at work? And that's really what we have to, we have to realize, is that you're looking for open, interested people who are connecting to you. There's the Father at work, now what? And so now, next week, we're going to talk about the person of peace, and we're going to get into each of these aspects and some of the things that you can ask and how they respond to, to know where to go with it. So, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time. We praise you that you are at work in the world. I thank you for everybody in this class, and I ask, O oh Lord, that you would make us wise and discerning, that we would see that where you're at work, not try to run ahead of you and do our own thing or to impress you, but Father, we are here as your servants. And we truly would, we want to see and have eyes to see where you are at work. Help us to learn and understand and know what it means to watch and observe, just to love people. And as we love them and, and, and respond to them and ask them questions, that we would be observant and be able to tell and be able to notice and see where you're at work. And then be faithful in that, to walk forward and, and do our part as you work through us and in us. We praise you for all the, the grace and the goodness and the blessing of being able to share Christ with people. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would, you truly would equip us and help us to do this and work in and through us. I pray a rich blessing on everyone today. Amen. Amen. Here, just homework. I want you guys this week to prayerfully Think of the family and friends, the people that God has placed around you, 
and say, Lord, before you go anywhere in the morning, please give me eyes to see where you're at work. Just that. Just be prayerfully going. Prayerfully, prayerfully in the conversations and the people you're interacting with. That's all they want you to do. And just come back observing that one thing. As you observe, are you, were you able to see more clearly as you prayerfully think about people and God being at work, see Him at work in different places? All right?